no place in such a home Such a soul Such a rough road I got no place by the wayside Digging holes About waist high Cause when you're stuck in the middle So far, still though, but the bridge is burning. I got no faith in a love song to get me through. Such a rough draw. I got no hope in a room for to say that I'm hopeful. It's when you're stuck in the middle and your wheels are turning, and they're so far. Still know, but the bridge is burning behind you and over the edge or up ahead. I go Hathaway and you're listening to Sometime in Long Island City, a podcast of the blog of the same name. This is the sixth of the series of artist portraits featuring musicians who are well known in the Long Island City music scene. Today I'm interviewing Matthew Susich, born and bred Queens singer-songwriter, frequent performer in LIC, Astoria, New York City, Northeast USA and California. I talked to Matt about his life and his music. Are you from New York? I am. I was born and raised in Astoria, Queens. Still live there? I still live there, yeah. I live about a mile from where my parents live. I live around the block from where I went to high school. All of my schooling was done in that neighborhood except for college. And then, uh, you know, I've moved away for a while and uh, for not, not for very long, but like a year in California. But I came back and 
I didn't even consider anywhere else, you know, the store. I knew I was going to live in a store just because, you know, I think it's a privilege to be from New York, have, meeting all these other musicians. I think I am a uh, the minority because you end up you end up speaking to them and you, you say, you know, the introduction goes, oh, hey, where are you from? And they, they say where they're from and they're living in New York. Oh, where are you living now? Brooklyn. And they're like, where are you living? I'm like, I own Astoria. And like, where are you from? I'm like, Astoria. <laughs> and they're like, what? Really? I don't think I've ever met a New Yorker before, like a legitimate New Yorker. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I, and it's it's hard to see that because from my perspective, you know, I am very fortunate to to be where I grew up. So I have like a home team, a uh, home field advantage, you know, and uh, people who, who, not necessarily struggling, but they're, you know, very far away from their families. They're far away from where, what they're comfortable with. And so, you know, I have a very, I'm very fortunate to be so close to such an amazing music scene, such an amazing, you know, region. I can travel to Boston in a day, Connecticut, you know, Virginia, in, and I've done it in two days time, you know, back and forth to Virginia. So it's like to have all that in one, you know, area is really great. And I'm very fortunate to have that, you know, and to, to, to be living here still. So the point is I, I wouldn't have lived in Manhattan. Yeah. I wouldn't have paid so much money for, you know, a third of the space I have, you know, in Astoria. And I know that already. Like, I just know, you know, it, how close the city is. When I want to go into the mix, I can take a train into the mix. But when I go home, I'm home. It's, it's a residential area where I don't have to worry about the noise and all that kind of stuff. It's so. a neighborhood where you know people exactly. and they know yeah. you and you can walk down the street and yeah. say hi. Right. Yes. I know the feeling. I live on, in Hunter's Point and right. I've only lived there a year or so, but I still, that's the experience I have right. going around and I meet people that I've met in other situations. I go to the cafe and talk to people there. Right. It's that sense of real neighborhood. You know, I have nothing against any other neighborhood. I love, I love this city and, you know, I just, uh, it, there's such a, such a culture everywhere you go. So do you come from a big family? Uh, I have a big extended family. Um, my brother and sister, I have one brother, one sister, and they're older. Uh, and my parents are wonderful people. So that fa the immediate family is pretty average, I would say. Three kids, you know, um, and we're all pretty close. My brother lives in Massachusetts. My sister lives on Long Island. And uh, Culturally, Susic? Susic is Croatian. But uh, I don't speak a word. <laughs> and uh, it's really just my father's father was Croatian, hence the name. And the rest of us, uh, the rest of the heritage is, the, is Italian lineage. And, um, but we're all American because, you know, we were all born here. But, but grandparents are, are, you know, so, some of the grandparents are off the boat. And uh, so it's Italian-Croatian. And that's a wonderful match. Uh, because the, the the food is amazing, <laughs> but uh, so that has that has that's passed down the generation. Oh, absolutely! And a lot of Italian restaurants are owned by Croatian families. If you uh, I don't know if you ever dug that deep into the the restaurants, but a lot of the the families that own northern Italian restaurants are Croatian, and so it would come to the point at the end of the night where we pay to pay the bill. My father would give the credit card, and then all of a sudden they see the name, and out comes the grappa and the free you know the the special treatment. <laughs> I can't stand grappa. Okay. Oof. Terrible. But I, I find I can speak several languages after quite a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, once, once you get through the first glass, That's right. it gets easier. <laughs> it gets easier. But the, I can't stand yeah. that first glass. Any musicians in your family? Um, my brother and sister play piano. Uh, my parents were not exactly musical, although later in life, like I've been learning a lot about them <laughs> in that respect. I think because of my uh, path, they have, you know, felt inclined to tell stories about you know their of the, their youth but they were never like really in the mix musically 
although they did not deprive us, which I am so grateful for. And I mean, I we all took piano lessons. My you brother have a piano at home. Yeah, always. There was always a piano at home. Um, my brother and sister were able to retain the knowledge that they gathered at piano lessons. I did not. So okay. we, I, we took lessons for about five or six years, I want to say, maybe more. I don't really remember, but they weren't the best memories. Like I didn't, I didn't love, it, it's very typical of my process. It's, it's very typical of my process because I tend to do things my own way. And when it comes to by the book, I'm not so good. So uh, learning notes and learning, you know, how how to play properly was not in my, especially as a kid, as a, as a very, you know, as eight, nine years old, I was not really into it. And Is that when um, you started piano? That that's when, around that age, we started playing piano, and we would go, it was the three of us, we, we would all go together, and my piano teacher lived right next to our church, and we, uh, it was, I think, I want to say it was Sundays, we would, maybe we'd go to mass, and then we'd go to piano lessons, um, and she had two kids herself, and they were much younger than us, so when we weren't, it wasn't our turn for our lesson, we were just hanging out with her kids, uh, you know, playing board games or something like that, and it, it was just like waiting for the doctor, you know, and it was fine when we did it. You know, I learned Mr. Frog and, you know, where middle C is, and that's the only thing I've retained, and other than that, I don't remember, I can't read music. You know, my brother and sister still, still can read music, and when they sit down, they play, you know, songs from a book, and I think, you know what, I, I, I don't see the harm in that, and I, I wish I, I was able to retain that, but I'm happy with the way, like, I could sit at a piano and figure out a song. I have a terrible left, I might as well have a foot on my left hand. Like, I can't, I can't do much with it, but I can figure out a song, and I can play it like it sounds. My brother and sister are more, you know, proper and by the and book, the, and by the yeah. book tempo and yeah, all that yeah. stuff but yeah. there's no th the feel isn't there yeah. you know yeah. and so that's yeah. a different kind of thing and i think that's what i got i don't know that's yeah. that's what came out of out of me is, is that what music was around in the home was there a record player a cassette player oh there was a record player yeah uh yeah i was still i'm happy i'm very very happy that i was on the brink of vinyl like you know i i know what it was like as a little kid plugging in headphones big headphones yeah. oh wow at a, at a turntable and even though we didn't have the best collection um I remember, like, around Christmas time, we had a Mitch Miller record, so um, it was like Sing Along with Mitch, you know, and, that, and uh, just great, great Christmas songs. So there was some some really cheesy stuff, but uh, I, I'll never forget sitting with big headphones listening to like Eye of the Tiger, you know, and 
but just putting the needle down is something it's, mm -hmm. it's impressive you know mm -hmm. and I remember being that impressing me um, but growing up the music that I think that we, we were engulfed in was um, was just the oldies like 60s 60s classics and even even 50s uh, CBS FM was a big station here for a long time it was just oldies and their slogan was the hits just keep on coming and it was like so true no, no slogan has ever been more true because you could keep that channel on and not turn it off for hours and that's why my, my mother did this and she would record she'd put a cassette in press record and just let it go until it ran out and then flip the tape and do it so when we went on road trips we would have all these oldies uh, we also had the DJs talking so they gave the weather which was funny like yeah. you're, you're halfway to Florida <laughs> you know listening to like you know the weather from three months ago but um but it was nice when we would go we'd go on road trips to Montauk sometimes uh, so that's a couple hours but when you're a kid it feels like two days you know um but we had oldies it was always oldies and it's like Bobby Darren um you know uh, and even like Rat Pack kind of stuff um, and then there was a cross between the popular music of the time, so a lot of Billy Joel. You know, my brother is a huge Billy Joel fan, so that that had its um, made its mark. The the pop songs of the day. I, I've I went through a phase where the '80s I really didn't like them, and then going back to the the '80s, early '90s music later, like recently, I've just been appreciating it. Like the the production value kills me. It always it'll always make me like cringe. You know, some of the some of the sounds they use. Yeah. But when you just think about the the power of the song it's like that's such a good song and every you can't deny how it makes you feel you know like those duets like peter cetera everything he did with with um like amy grant and those duets like they're so good Like a road. 
I, I've been embracing the, the, what I used to think was the cheesiest stuff ever. Now I've been embracing it. But for the most part, like I, when I hear an oldie, I can't turn it off. It's my favorite kind of music to listen to, like the girl groups, you know? The power of the song, even though the production was was cheesy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just well, maybe it might be a nostalgia trip too. You know, I, I hear the minute I hear Peter Cetera's voice, I remember you know being twelve, you know, and and or you know just starting high school and thinking you know, I don't know, this first time a, a song about like a love song, like spoke to me. You know what I mean? Like I all of a sudden I'm not just a like a little boy anymore. You know, so it's like I'm I'm understand I'm listening to lyrics and like yeah. wow, yeah. what's this about? So. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's it could be a nostalgia trip, but at the same time, it's just they're classics. And you know, you, I just it reminds me of the road trips. I'll, I'll think of just going to my aunt's house on Christmas, and you know, having the radio on, and that was like the hit. The smash was you know Peter Cetera and Amy Grant, and so you know. So what was the first music that you bought? First music I bought is a good question. <clears throat> I think you know I was really late to the game as far as playing. Um, I started playing guitar only when I was 18, and so, as uh, as a uh, and I, that's when I started playing like hardcore. So when I started playing, I was blues guitar was my the way I started. And to me, it's funny how right now I consider myself a very 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 lyric writer, like very lyrical. You know, um, back then I scoffed at lyrics. All I wanted was a guitar solo. You know, it was like where at what point in the song is the solo? Find that mark on the on the stereo and then just keep rewinding and learning the solo. And that was my, that's how I learned. So I bought, first albums I bought were Johnny Lang, um, Lie to Me, and Eric Clapton's Unplugged. And that's how I learned how to play guitar, was to those two albums.
and that's I just over and over and over again I learned I learned every song on Unplugged uh, and that's how I learned how to play and then I discovered like there's a whole group of things that happened in my life between playing guitar solos and being a lead focused and then figuring out that I could sing and writing lyrics. So how did you decide to buy a guitar? <clears throat> what led you to that? Oh, I, have, I just have a really good friend who I was friends with forever um, since I was about six years old. And, you know, he's like a brother. And we spent a lot of time together. And when we were freshmen in college, he randomly, out of the blue, bought a guitar. And it was just a classic case of, I could do that. You know, I could do that too. <laughs> and my brother had one. He was two years, my brother's two years older than me. And he had taken like a freshman guitar class at Boston University. So the guitar was in our house in Queens because after the class was done, he didn't need it anymore. And he was done playing guitar. So I stole it from him. And, you know, I just... A good guitar? It was a Yamaha uh, Beginners. So like it was something that if you're a freshman in college, your parents don't want to go, you know, spending a ton of money on something that could be just... A class that you need so they bought you know cheap model Yamaha steel string yeah 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 and uh, it, you know I adopted it and took it in and you know I beat the hell out of it and it was great I, I excelled extremely fast I could tell like I, I just I just applied myself so much and like I soared past my friend he was playing like these chords and I was just yeah. I'm gonna do this and all of a sudden it became like a love it was it was one of those things that if that moment didn't happen I don't know maybe this would have found me anyway but finding it that way was pretty awesome. And so how did you learn? Did you go to someone else? Did you watch people? Uh, I had a friend who could play Stairway to Heaven, classic. And so uh, I've, I badgered him. That was the first song I ever learned. So before the unplugged, the Eric Clapton unplugged thing, we did Stairway. He would play the first three notes. I would say, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? He would show me. He would go on to the next bit. Like, how'd you do that? And I'd find it again and keep going and going. And he got so angry with me because I, I wasn't leaving him alone until I learned how to play the whole song. And so that was how I learned how to play. And, you know, then from there you figure out chords and it's all tablatures and, you, you know, you look at how the chord is and then you figure out, you know, the rest from there. It's, it's kind of incredible when you think about how it started like that. I can remember that looking at the hand, your left hand, figuring out the chord and trying to get to the next chord, how the next, the easiest way to get to the next chord is. And it's really funny to think about those days because it was so frustrating, but all you just wanted to do was get to the next, the next step, you know? And then there's a breakthrough. Eventually, you break through, and you're able to do it without looking. And then, you know, every little step is like a every victory, every small victory, is like worth, you know, its weight in gold. What were you studying at college? I was advertising major. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't studying very much. <laughs> it was I lived at home. I didn't because it was I went to school in Westchester. It was a 25-minute, half-hour drive uh, daily, and. You know, I, I did what I had to do at school, but I rarely took my schoolwork home with me. And I'd come home and I'd play guitar. Again, it's par for the course with me. Like I said, it seems to be the, a recurring theme in my life is that if I don't do it my way, it's not going to happen. And so had I, I took guitar lessons, uh, two weeks of guitar lessons when I was nine uh, because I asked my parents for some reason. So it must be ingrained in me, you know, because when I was a little kid, I asked for it. Uh, I did it and I hated it. You know, it was, this guy's teaching me something I don't want to learn. I don't even know what I wanted to learn because I wasn't that into music as a nine-year-old. But um, I did it, and whatever, I put that guitar went away for a long time. It was a little nylon string guitar, oh, yeah. and um, like a beginner's. And you know, all of a sudden it came back to me, and I, I started wanting to do it. And so then I I learned you know, went on my own terms, and I was making up for lost time. So I was just spending hours at a time playing guitar. And to me, it was all about that guitar solo. 
So it's funny. Uh, I, and now I just, I'm such a timid lead guitar player. If I play with somebody, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not really much of a lead guitar player. I'm happy to like, I, I, what, I have a style. I have, you know, I grew into a style. To me, it was always about the blues solo. And it turns out you figure out what comes out of you naturally when you play, and that's what you stick with. So playing guitar, doing solos, working out what other people were playing, and then when did singing come along? Singing came along like sophomore year of college. Um, my friend had started, how he was singing. We had a band that wasn't much of a band. We were just a bunch of guys, you know, screwing around. But um, I had, we had like a battle of the bands at Fordham University and uh, I sang Tracy Chapman's uh, Give Me One Reason. And people were like, oh, I didn't know you could sing. And I was really just copying Johnny Lang, you know? That's all I was doing. I, you know, I kind of liked that attention. I, I knew I wasn't terrible at singing. So I just went from there. And, you know, I would just play, I started playing the open mics at, at the at college campus. It wasn't even my school. I went to Iona, uh, but my friends went to Fordham. And Fordham was not far away in the Bronx. So I would hang out with them in the Bronx after my classes. And then I would, there was another campus in Manhattan that my other friends went to. So I spent all of my, my weekends, I hung out at Fordham my entire college life. Uh, and to this day, there are people who remember me from Fordham and think I went to school there. But uh, it took me a while to get the guts to do it. But once I did it, uh, I was happy because, you know. And then writing your own stuff, up. when did that start? Uh, I wrote my first song after my freshman year girlfriend broke up with me. And it was a terrible, a terrible song. And I hadn't been singing yet, so it was also like this, there's a recording of it somewhere, it has to be. And it's like me, like, you know, so, so timidly singing into this recorder. But um, I don't remember, well, that's a lie, I do remember. I, I, I just, I wrote songs through college, like a couple of bad songs, and um, like really bad songs. There are like four or five uh, that just make me cringe. I think about them and you know a couple of CDs that I burned and I handed out to people I thought this is what I wanted to do in college and God I'm so glad you know that the my life went the way it went because I wouldn't have been ready if even if somebody did like the, the garbage I was putting out you know and took me on some kind of false road I, I feel like I would have been I was I would have been grossly unprepared so I wrote some songs in college but through over the course of my 20s uh, something you know I, I I made, I lived, and then, you know, I figured out my sound. I figured out how I wanted to write. So was there a point where you decided you were going to devote more energy towards this? Yes. Um, it was something, I felt, I kind of felt stagnant. I knew that I wanted to do, I, I knew that music was such a passion, you know. It was not, not definitely not a passing fad. Which is funny because my father bought me a Fender Strat when I first started playing guitar, um, which I still owe him money for. I told him I'd pay him back, and I, I will. <laughs> uh, it was a long time ago. He bought the guitar, but he—I think he was very nervous that it was a fad. But he knew how passionate like he could see it, and I think he saw it in me because otherwise he would have—he would have sprung for something a little cheaper. But this was an American Strat, and you know, um, I'll never get rid of that guitar. You know, and. That was when I first started playing. I had that, my brother's cheap acoustic, and then he bought me that. The proof is right there. Like you know, that was 1999. 
you know, I'm still going strong. I'm still doing this. And now I'm doing it seriously. I've only been doing it seriously for like two years. I, I, I was in a relationship um, with, a, with a, a girl and uh, we were together for four years. And through the relationship, I had started getting the wheels turning. I put out an EP with a couple of friends. And I really had this, this dream of having these friends be the band. You know, I didn't want to I didn't. I didn't want to put the effort into finding musicians and and getting into the scene. I wanted it to be around me. I wanted it to be the people I was most comfortable with, who wanted to play music and were as passionate as I was. But it didn't turn out to, to be the same. You know, everybody else had different motives. You know, different plans for their lives. You know, not motives. Um, and so I, you know, to expect them to be as passionate as I was a, a tall order. But uh, we had we did a couple of gigs. We put out an EP. Not something I'm. You know incredibly proud of because it was rushed studio, you know, thing. And, you know, that is no longer to be found anywhere. And then uh, when the relationship ended, I, I can tell you, I swear to God, it was an epiphany. Like I had a moment where I wrote a bunch of songs that were head and shoulders, like above where I had been writing. I, it, I don't know where it came from. Suddenly I, I snapped into, you know, like professionalism. I just, I suddenly knew that I was I had what I needed, you know? I had lived up until a point and my ability to write was just, you know, beyond what anything else I had been. And I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm just, I was happy with my work finally. And it took me a while to, like, I was never happy with my work. And I was like, this, I'm just gonna do this because it's what I have, but it's not sound, it doesn't sound right. And now I sat on my couch and I remember the day I, I wrote a song and I was like, this is a good song. I'm really happy with this song. I want people to hear it. And so then I got, I got on fire and I just started going to every open mic and I just introduced myself to all these people and I started networking and it's amazing the door you the doors you open when you're networking like and when you're confident about what you're putting out and what you, when you're confident as a performer people see that and it's just it it's you're putting when you put positive out you get positive back you know and for a long time I was putting negative I would I would play on stage and I would just be down uh, you know after the set I knew it was bad I just thought, I just felt bad about it, and that only makes things worse, mm -hmm. you know? And when, when you snap into that positive zone, that's the pocket. That's just like being in a good song. Your drummer and bass player are right in, you know? Like that's, you can't ask for anything more, and I, and I can't be happier that that happened to me finally, because I knew I was holding out for it. And when it finally came, yeah, I was ready, and now I'm like, I'm just going full force. I just feel good, you know? Like, every little step counts. It doesn't matter if I play to a room of seven people, if three people in that room like what they hear, that's a win, you know? It's always, it's always a win when you meet new people, and I'm just, I'm very blessed to be, you know, right now where I am. Saving that I need 
So you're, you told me what you're listening to when you're at college. Yeah. And it, would you say anyone was particularly influencing you at that point? It was blues. So yeah. it was, you know, like, like I said, Johnny Lang, which was funny because he was younger. He's younger than me, but he was just this star, you know, in the blues world. And I loved his sound. I loved the way he, his guitar sounded and his voice was just incredible. So that was my influence. That was my first. And I, I was so new to music. Like, it was so funny. I, I was just... You know, Dylan wasn't even on my radar, and Springsteen wasn't even on my radar, even though he Springsteen's songs were ingrained in my head as a child. You know, the hits, um, "Hungry Heart," and you know, uh, "Born to Run" and all that stuff. But it, for some reason, the, like the lyric guys weren't, you know, the writers weren't what stuck out. You it were was, still listening. I was to still the listening to the guitars. Sound. Yeah, yeah. And and so I went to blues festivals, and I I watched. You know, I I got I studied the blues. I I got into Buddy Guy. I got into the late stuff, you know, the Robert, like the early stuff. I mean, the Robert Johnson, you know, Muddy Waters, and all that stuff. I loved it. I bought it all. And once I was done with that, you know, I saw there was other places to go. And that's I also got tired of the you know. The guitar playing I wanted but did lyrics hit you when you started to write your own stuff or did they hit you before then I you know I don't really remember the the, the changeover I want to say later in college 
you know, this is actually, this is a breakthrough moment right now. Because I think, I want to say maybe Counting Crows, Adam Duritz. The Counting Crows in general were a big influence as far as breaking out of that guitar solo um, based music into lyric music. Because Adam Duritz would play a show. We went, I must have seen, you know, 10 or 12 Counting Crows shows in the course of, you know, four years. We just went every time they were in town and we went multiple times. And he's the kind of performer that, you know, puts it all out there and every you never know what you're going to get each night it's not it's not a cookie cutter show and he would you know would change the his inflection he would change you know lyrics on stage he would just just go and where the song went him he would go crows i probably revisited all these you know it opened a box pandora's box you know it was just like so you started to listen to what they were singing yeah when the lyrics come first and the music is there to carry the what's being said that that really spoke to me and so at that point i think i started listening to you know writers and you know and i'm not much of a reader i you know i wish i was and it just turns out i, I like listening to music more so you know it's a shame to say i would love to read more but my patience goes out the window I, I end up getting my mind wanders I'm always writing you know and so when I'm listening to music I can write when I'm reading I can't write this is great I, I never really I never pinpointed it to the Counting Crows before but yeah. I think that's the I think that's it so it sounds to me like 
in a way, you always loved the poetry of melody mm-hmm. and, and the intricacies of guitar and how they express stuff. And then all of a sudden, the poetry of words came to you. And, and you carry them both now in the way that you write and you perform. Yes, I think that's exactly it. So you, you talked about college and how you, you developed into, a, into more of a performer yourself while you went to earn money doing other things? Yes. Um, I've had this day job at the radio station since I graduated. And by the way, there was a there is close to a decade that I was not a serious musician. So in that in that decade, were you still going to open mics? And no, things? I never went to open mics. Like I, I went to an open mic at Fordham, which was called like the D Cafe, and it was just like where the students would come. I didn't know it was an open mic. I didn't know any better because I didn't know the culture. And when I, I after college, I went away to California with some friends. A friend of ours was in the Navy. He was finishing up his you know, his uh, requirement in San Diego. We lived with him for a year and we came back to New York. And uh, when I came back from California, again, we drove across the country twice. I had this inspiration, but I didn't know how to really turn it into good songs yet. Um, I was still young. I was, you know, 22 or 23, which is why I'm so impressed by, I hang out with, this is a digression, but I hang out with people who are 23, 24 now, because those are the guys in the music scene. You know, there, there are a lot of young people out there. Uh, and when I see talent at that age, I'm like really impressed because I can't, I wasn't able to be that good. Maybe I was, and I just wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah. out, putting myself out there, yeah. but I, I don't think I was that good. And the songs that these guys are writing, I'm really impressed by, you know, it's an interesting thing, but I needed time. And so when I came back from California, my friend Jessica and I would play these shows at the bitter end and you had a half hour set. Again, I was naive. I would, we would play these shows. We'd bring everybody we knew who we hung out with regularly. They would come support us. We would, we'd get two half-hour sets back-to-back, so we'd have the whole hour at the bitter end on a Sunday night. It was Larry Oaks' like, uh, singer-songwriter sessions. And uh, we'd do it, drink, and we'd go home. There was no, no such thing as networking for me. I didn't understand the point. You know, I didn't yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, Took me a while to get it. Took me a while to grow up, and you know. So that over that course of that time, I was working. I was playing. We we did like this for maybe a few months, maybe more than a few months, five or six. And uh, you know, they were funny. You got a CD of your performance. You'd listen back, say, "Oh, that that's cool. This is how I sound." Um, and that was the end of it. <laughs> so okay, so they recorded you. Yeah, yeah. They got, they gave us and a then CD. they gave it to you. That's quite yeah, nice. really nice of them. Yeah. I mean, you paid for it. Like you oh, gave okay. them like five, ten bucks, but. Yeah. It was still cool to have. It's a good. It's a good thing to have in my archives. You know, it's just funny how, you know, you don't think about certain things. You don't think about the business aspect of it. In your head, you're like, I'm just gonna go play a show and I'm gonna be discovered. You know, somebody in, in the audience is gonna like me and, you know, and do something about it. You don't think about the work that has to go into it. And, um, and so you know, I didn't play open mics ever. I went to these singer-songwriter sessions with my friend. We played them. We'd go home once a week, mm-hmm. uh, once a month, sorry, and, uh, you know, for like six months. And that was it. And then, you know, living out, we'd go out. We were in our 20s. We'd go out drinking, and I, I rarely played shows. I didn't do anything. And when I did, I didn't, I invited my friends, and I didn't meet new people. I didn't have an interest in meeting new people. Uh, that's something you learn with, eight, with, with, with time, you know. Um, and now it's like I, I don't go a day without networking. And, you know, sometimes you got to be aggressive and it's a funny it's a funny game there's a fine line between you know being too aggressive and that you have to kind of you have to dance with it but you know handing out business cards everywhere you go it's important yeah. it's a really important part because you don't know who you're going to meet case in point chaos theory yeah you've got to keep communicating and then in the end things might drop 
into mm-hmm. little holes that you didn't expect. You can't plan. You can't. You can't always be goal setting. Right. Sometimes you just got to be spreading it out, and it just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you've been mainly concentrating us over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I've been on fire. Like I've just, you know, like I just every night of the week. If I'm sitting at home, watching TV, I'm thinking, what else could I be doing with this time? Why am I home right now? So uh, you've recently out. been over to California. Yeah, I go there often. Uh, I have some friends who live out there, and it, you know they're very nice. I love it there. I get emotional when I, whenever I'm in California. It's a second home for me. Like I, because I, I lived there for what a year. Like, you mean San Diego? Uh, San Diego, I get emotional. Like I, I love being in San Diego. I, I really love it there. Uh, but just California in general, it's just a great feel. Um, I don't know that I'd live in LA if I went back there. Uh, I would go between San Diego or San Francisco. I love it. I, this is my first time in San Francisco recently, uh, this past February, in a long time. I was there once about 10 years ago, uh, but this time I was there to play music, and there's a beautiful music scene, great people. It's so gorgeous there, and the weather is, it's a nice, you know, chilly kind of weather. It's not as hot as, this, as uh, you know, Southern California, but that's okay. It's a beautiful space. I, I would, I would, I want to say San Francisco is probably where I would end up if I would move to San- California again. But I don't know that I want to be that far from New York. Uh, but yeah, traveling is something I'm really excited about. It's something that, you know, came with the hustle. Like all of a sudden you're hustling and you're like, all right, I need to start playing other places. You know, it's one thing to build in New York, but get your name out there and, you know. So how did you do that? People who came to see you here from over there? Or yeah. Having CDs? There's a, how did it work? There's a great, um, two great songwriters in San Francisco were in New York um, uh, playing an open mic. And I met them, and we, they were here for a couple of days. So we met again over the course of the th- three days they were in town. I went out to see them, see them play a gig in New York, and uh, we exchanged numbers. And they, you know, they said, if you're ever in San Francisco, come say hi. And I turns out I was in California, and I said yes. Uh, you know, I rented a car. I, I, I made my stay longer. And I drove US-1 highway oh, yeah. up the coast from LA to San Francisco. It took me about nine hours. Mm-hmm but it was the best nine hours of my life. Uh, I was alone, you know, it was such, God, it was so beautiful. It was such a great ride. And then I saw them, it, was, it couldn't have been a better day. I, it was a beautiful day for the ride. I left early in the morning. I saw the, the coast for the whole ride. I got to San Francisco. I had an amazing gig with amazing people and I flew home the next day. It, it was the best end of the trip. So, and that's how that kind of thing happens. I would never have gone to San Francisco if I didn't meet these two people on an open mic. So my big in- advice to young musicians is always go to the open mics, get in the scene, just get out there and introduce yourself to people because you don't know who you're meeting. And it's amazing when you do. It's incredible. So, so in terms of recording, what have you, um, what have you done recently and what, what have you put out there? Um, well, I put out my album shortly after uh, I, I got, you know, into the scene, so that's sort of how the time, the chain of events. I went out to the open mic the, for the first time a couple of years ago, and I saw what it was like, the scene was like. And once I started getting a, a, a rhythm, I was like, I need music. You know, all I thought about was how I didn't have, you know, proper product. And so I got really hot with recording. I, I made sure I took a week's vacation from my day job. Uh, my friend had just bought a house in Pennsylvania and it was newly renovated, nothing was in it. So I went to the house, I brought my equipment for a week and I tracked uh, a record. I had uh, 11 songs, uh, 10 songs I think. I finished it all at home. I, you know, I, I'm 
a home recorder. And again, this is something that I needed that experience in the, in the studio a few years ago um, that I didn't really enjoy. I needed that experience to prove to myself that I got to do it myself. You know, same thing, course of my life. You know, mm -hmm. piano lessons, guitar lessons, all this stuff. I need to do it on my own terms. Uh, I'll happily work with a producer in the future. You know, uh, somebody, when money's not an, uh, you know, uh, not something I have to worry about, um, I think I would be happy in a studio because I love the environment of a really professional studio with equipment, amazing things. What I don't work well under is the time. Like if the clock's ticking and I'm paying, you know, through the nose, it's not something that helps me as an artist. You know, I want to be in a comfort zone. I like sitting at home with a microphone up against my amp. You know, I'm, I don't use, I try not to use digital sounds so much. Like I try not to use the, the fake sounds. Yeah. I have to use my laptop because, you know, I'm not skilled with a tape recorder and, you know, like a tape machine reel to reel. But um, I, I use real sounds and I could sit at home playing a guitar part for nine hours. If the sun comes up, you know, what does it cost me? Nothing. And I got carried away, maybe, but I also got inspired, and I also got the right take because I was in a zone where I could play it. And you know, maybe I'm fortunate enough to have the ability to record myself, but I see it as just necessity. You know, I'm not going to get. It's not going to be me if I'm in a studio under constraints. Um, the you know, it, it, then the record is not going to be what it should be. And so right now I'm recording my second album the same way, but I'm doing it at home, and I'm doing it all at home, and I'll have two tracks ready for uh, my upcoming trip to Tennessee. So I'll have two new tracks available, which I'm excited about. So how are you distributing this? Uh, the new stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to put the two tracks on online. The The record won't be ready till the fall. So I have, uh, you know, I'm going to have a couple of songs available in mid-May. And I'm going to have a couple more songs available in the middle of the summer, hopefully. that That's not confirmed yet. Um, but it's going to be like a trickle, you know? And then the full album will be out in the fall. And your first album, what's that called? The first album is called Jubilation and Jealousy. And um, it's, you know, pretty somber. There's, you know, I'm really happy how it came out. It's a great, I think it's a great first record. You know, I learned a lot of lessons as far as recording techniques go uh, in the process. And I'm applying those lessons now. And you know what I'm looking forward to is this record being done and moving on to the next one. Have you got a name for this one? Uh, I do, I do. But I'm not, I think it's going to be called Layers. Yeah, I'm almost 100% sure it's going to be called Layers. And uh, there's a song, there's a, there's a title track that, that I've been, I've been toying with the name for a long time, and the song came recently. And I, when I finished the song, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I've been trying to say. So I think it, it all kind of came together nicely. How do you write a song? Um, I, there's two different methods there's one that's like it takes you know it could take months or a year there's other times where it comes in a flash you know some people say the ones that come in a flash are the better ones i might agree with that but i think they're all works that i've taken three or four months it's just the ones that come in a flash are just you know a compilation of the stuff you've been compiling yeah. you know I, that's a redundant but um for instance, I write, I'm always writing, like I said, I'm on the train, I have a book. If something comes to me, I write down a line. And something else comes to me later in the day, I write, I write that down. I'm always writing down. And so, sometimes I'll look back at what I've written over the course of four pages, and I'll see that subconsciously it was all in the same meter. It was all kind of rhyming. It's all in the same rhyme scheme. And I'm you know, thinking you know, that it, it needs to be together, it needs to be put together. And we'll see what happens. Then I end up picking up a guitar 
if I have a free morning, I tend to write best in the morning. And words first, generally. Generally, words are, words come first, um, because you know because I don't always have a guitar with me and the ability to turn, take it out and and make it happen. But there have been times where a melody has driven something where I play a melody for the longest time and I want to do something with it, and then because of that melody, you know, I'll pair up. I I rarely write just to a melody. Mm. I will have have a melody that I really want to use. And I'll just go through my book and see if there's anything that sticks with it. And you then carry around a little notebook with you wherever always, you go. Always, yeah, yeah, always. And it's just full of you know random random lines, and those lines end up becoming a song, whether or not you know they intended to be from the from the get go. And you know then there's a lot of editing that happens. It's never perfect off the off the bat, but mm -hmm. you find the you find a chord progression that flows with the lyrics that you wrote, and you know exactly what you're trying to say at that moment, and then you kind of chop it up and make it work. And I think that's where layers came from, is because I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of artists who write songs that, to me, mean something new after a few listens. You're like, holy cow! I didn't notice that the first time around. Um, and I think this this second time around, like it happened on my first album a couple of times, where I listened back to a song, I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't realize I meant that until now, you know. Um, but as a writer, I've gr I'm growing into that, where I just want there to be I want there to it to be just general enough that, you know, it can apply to anybody else. It doesn't have to be so specific, but at the same time, you know, it can mean something else in a different context. You know, people always say your songs are so sad, but that's only if you're sad. <laughs> you know, if you listen to a song, obviously there are some songs that are that are blatantly breakup songs. You can't do anything about it. But some songs have maybe have a certain feel to them. There's a minor chord that makes it sound sad. But if you listen closely to the lyrics, like. It's a song about positivity. It's a song about moving forward. It's a song about, you know, like growing up and learning and that kind of stuff. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sad song. Uh, you know, so generally speaking, I think some of the people who think all my songs are sad are maybe just sad people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they could be sad. And so, you know, I'm okay with that. It's what comes out of me, it, you know, it, it are these sad chords. But I've also, you know, the new record is going to have some tempo to it that the old one didn't, which is nice. Um, and we took care. I, I stepped up a little bit. I took the drummer to the studio uh, this time instead of his parents' basement, which is where we did the drums last time. Uh, you know, I used the studio for um, for a piano because um, I wanted a real piano. I was determined to have a real piano, so we got a, st a studio for that. But for the most part, everything else is in my apartment. And yeah, it's uh, songwriting is it's a funny game, but I uh, I don't ever feel pressure to finish a song. You know, it's something that I think has to come naturally. So tell me about playing as a soloist and playing uh, with a band. Have you had a band around for a while? Uh, I've met my bass player through a friend, um, and she, her name's Jamie Bendel, and she, uh, you know, I, I, I saw a bunch of her shows, and I liked his playing, and he was open to playing with me, and he's been my pretty much my only bass player since I started doing this seriously. My drummer is a friend of mine, um, and I love playing with them behind me. I love the feel of, you know, having Extra, the extra, you know, drive. in such a home such a soul such a rough road 
Got no place by the wayside Digging holes About waist high Cause when you're stuck in the middle And your wheels aren't turning And there's so far still though But the bridge is burning I've got no faith in a love song To get me through Such a rough draw Got no hope in a room for to say that I'm hopeful. It's when you're stuck in the middle and your wheels are turning, and they're so far still though, but the bridge is burning. But at the same time, I'm very lyric heavy. So I also love playing by myself and in a room where people are listening and they can you know, hear what I'm saying. You know, with the band, the lyrics sometimes get drowned out. But if the room has great sound, you have the best of both worlds. Uh, and it's, you know, working out schedules with a band is kind of difficult. So it gets to be mildly stressful when you want to book a show with a band. Uh, you're working out rehearsal schedules and all that stuff. It becomes, you know, three guys trying to figure out their schedules. But I, I really have to say it's split down the middle 50-50. I go through phases where all I want to do is play with a band, and then I go through phases where all I want to do is play solo. And the great thing about playing solo is that 
you have a guitar, you just show up, acoustic guitar, and your your setup is done. So the gig can be tomorrow, you know, and come see me play acoustic, you know. That it's I'm gonna be here, and it's easy. When when it's a band, it's a little more involved, but you know you. It's the reward comes back. So you put more in, you get more back. So we know what you're playing now. What 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 do you like to listen to? What sorts on your iPod, on your iPhone, or on whatever music um, machine you have? To be honest, like I'm listening to a lot of my my peers. Yeah. At Who? the moment, like um, there's a band. Uh, well, my, my my buddy Todd Kramer is a, he's a pal of mine. He's really good. Uh, he's got a real country pop, you know, thing going. Uh, he's just got really infectious, you know. Uh, songs um, Josh Taylor has endless you know catalog of songs he's a unique uh, voice and a, just a great writer he has so many songs uh, these are guys that you know just made you know that play the open mic scene with me there's a band called Swear and Shake that I am just blown away by Carrie's voice the, the lead singer one of the there's they um, they do harmonies and they switch leads on songs um, but they, uh, Adam and Carrie, and Carrie's voice just does something to me. It's incredible, and uh, she's she's amazing. So, I, I've been listening to them recently. Bianca Merkley is a friend of mine, and she's got such a beautiful voice, such a positive artist. She's just so her songs are so, you know, positive. I I love it. And a couple of those people we went to Virginia together, to to tour, and that's a, one of the things I love. Um, is just traveling with friends, you know. Like that, that's something I learned is really, really important. And when if you're going to go on the road, you got to take people that you like, you know. And I think I'm going. To, I'll be going down to Nashville soon uh, with my friend Todd and uh, this guy Ace Elijah. Um, he Ace is something else. He plays. Uh, he has a voice not unlike Sinatra. Um, he plays these jazz chords on a nylon guitar. And uh, it, his songs are just these, they're like these soft punches to the face. They're so short, but they're so well written. I've been waiting for this moment to arise. Yeah, I've been waiting all my life it came so fast nothing ever lasts a long time on came winter Decided to sing for you. I do anything, but winter past, nothing ever lasts along time.
something I love about getting the point across in three or four lines and that that being it you know you don't need any more than that so you just repeat those three or four lines there's no harm in that and to me that's like uh, the um, the Mills Brothers those like old bands that had you know you got the point across we sang it three different ways for you in a matter of three minutes so uh, you know when when magic happens on paper when you write something that just makes sense yeah. there's no need in trying to write it again in a different way but uh but yeah ace uh, you got to see ace play okay yeah he's incredible well matt that's great thank, thank you, you very Eric. much thank you very yeah, much things have been great i hope uh yeah i hope there's something that you could use i'm sure there will be Find yourself among the jubilation 
jealousy of New York City. You've been listening to Artist Portrait, in which you heard Matt Susich talk about his life and his music. Tracks heard on the show were The Mitch Miller Band, I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus, Counting Crows and a live performance of Mr. Jones, Johnny Lang, Lie to Me from the album of the same name, Ace Elijah, A Long Time, and Pete Cetera and Amy Grant singing their duet The Next Time I Fall. You also heard Matt himself singing two new releases, The Bridge, that was the music at the beginning of the program, and Supposing I Was Tough from his forthcoming album, Layers. He also sang Woman, You Will Be the Death of Me and Jubilation and Jealousy from his album of that name. This is Eric Hathaway bidding you farewell from some time in Long Island City, which is a non-profit-making community initiative.